Welcome back to the We Speak English Good podcast. Today's guest is going to be Miles Brown, and he is from 77 Jefferson, which is a great reggae band, I believe, out of Kansas City, Kansas. I don't know if they're on the Kansas side or the Missouri side. All I know is that um, I met Miles out at the One Love Festival, and uh I had a great time there, actually, and you guys are going to, I'm sure you guys are enjoying that show that's happening. Uh, I released it already. By the time this comes out, that will already have been released. Um, So I met Miles and Josh out at the One Love Festival, like I was saying, in Long Beach, and me and Miles were kind of talking, well, I went up and introduced myself to Josh Heinrich. And um, they were running a little booth over by um, over at backstage, and they were kind of talking to people about this show that there's this movie, this documentary that they're working on about the the reggae movement that's kind of sweeping across the country. And and then I I really wish I would have had my recorder because Josh had to go somewhere, and then it was just miles and i was asking miles about his camera because he had this really cool camera i don't even remember what it was called but it was it was a cool camera and they uh and we just got to talking and i and like i wish i would have had the the recorder running because we had like a half hour talk about just everything so <clears throat> we didn't record it so i you know i was like hey we exchanged information. I was like, hey, we should do something maybe over Skype or, or a phone call. And and he was like, yeah, that sounds good. I mean, he had a lot to say. He was really talkative, and he uh, he's a really smart guy. So I thought it would be cool to call him and uh, get a little more insight on Miles and his role with 77 Jefferson and um, – you know, and just chat it up. So let's call Miles and see what's going on with him. Before we get into calling Miles, I wanted to interject here and do a little bit of self-promotion. So first, let's start with go to com, And that's R-E-I-N-A-M-Y-S-T-I-Q-U-E dot com and check out what i'm going to be up to this summer we are going to be doing our exodus tour it was supposed to be the american dream tour i'm calling it the exodus tour because we are leaving san diego which really bums me out but we have to move on to other places which i guess is going to be detroit so you know we'll see what happens there the show will go on, though. I promise. I'm going to move to Detroit and start working my way into the scene. But um, in the meantime, we're going to be playing um, some gigs across the country. So why don't you guys go over to rainamystique.com, check out our schedule, sign up for the Patreon, um, sign up for the newsletter. We'll keep you up to date. And that's what I'm doing this summer in July until I guess we find a house to live in. (laughs) 
So we're going to be putting together a little tour, and uh, that's what we're doing. Anyways, um, so then we are going to um, go to um, Janelle Phillips, which I will be playing with her on... Let's see, the next show I'm playing with her is May 6th, and that's in Indio, and we're going to be supporting Hyrie at the Date Shed in Indio, California. Uh, Janelle will be also on tour with Animal, um, Animal Cruise, and she's doing a little West Coast tour on her own. I don't have those dates, but I, know, I think they're going to be ending on May 2nd at um, the holding company here in Ocean Beach, California, San Diego. So <clears throat> that's the next I'll be with her. And then on the June 10th, I'll be playing the San Diego Oyster Fest um, with Modest Yahoo and Magic. And then Rain of Mystique will be playing May 3rd at the Holding Company. I'm sorry I'm jumping around with all these dates. I'm just going by band. So May 3rd, Raina will be playing at the Holding Company with her sweet new band. Uh, come and check that out. Uh, Skanks Roots Project. The next show we got is June 9th, and that's going to be our. Um, actually, that's not our next show, but that's the big day at Winston's here in Ocean Beach, California. And that's going to be our CD release show, which is going to be fun because it's been a while since Skanks Roots Project released anything. So we just want to let you guys know that we are still making music and we are going to be releasing some uh, some new stuff coming up here. So I do want to say that, uh, let me see here, um, we do have upcoming shows here in April because it's April right now. Uh, April 27th at Sacrament- in Sacramento at the Blue Lamp, Skanks Roots Project will be up there. And then April 28th and 29th at in Groveland, California at the Iron Door Saloon, which I'm super psyched about, which um, I have like 10 dudes going. So we're crewing up. We're heading up there. Besides the 10 dudes in my band, um, there's going to be 10 dudes up in Groveland. This should be a, a smash. So if you're around Groveland or if you're going to Yosemite State Park, stop through Groveland on the weekend of 28th and 29th and come get some of that um then may 26th through the 28th is the monterey oh is the california roots festival which is um let's see that's that's may 26th through 28th uh 2017 and of course that i i was just looking at the lineup again this is an insane lineup revolution nas uh, Soja, Thievery Corporation, Jurassic 5, Modest Yahoo, Kali Buds, um, my god, I'm just going, John Brown's Body, I'm just, I'm just going down the list here, Jesse Royal, uh, Through the Roots, local guys here, Tribal Theory, more local, Synergy, more local, San Diego, of course, always representing, Ayaterra, of course, Gang's Roots Project, now, you can get uh, these tickets um, through any member of the Skanks Roots Project, me included. I think you can also go to Ticketmaster, I guess. I don't know where they even sell tickets anymore because it's such a crazy environment out there for music. Um, so then, 
in July, I'm sorry this is taking forever. I'm not even going to bother telling you my local gigs because that's that'd be silly. Um, we are doing, let's see, is it June 9th? No, June 9th is, oh yeah, June 9th is the C release show. Sorry, I'm just reading my notes here, which I can't read because I write like a two-year-old. Um, so this is July 12th at OB Winston's. Um, that's going to be for Carlos Culture, DJ Carlos Culture's Wednesday evening um, that we do there sometimes. It always pops off the Wednesday um, reggae night over at Winston's. Extremely popular here in OB. Um, and then we're taking off straight from there. We're going to Salt Lake City, Utah. We're going to the Royal. Uh, that's July 13th. And then July 14th will be in Ogden, Utah. And that will be at the Lighthouse. And then July 15th, we're trying to schedule something maybe in Vegas or Phoenix. Uh, Vegas, Phoenix, or maybe even Colorado since we're in that area. So I'll keep you guys updated. Holy shit, that was a lot to go over and it was so unorganized anyways let's go and jump into the conversation i had with miles brown hello miles what's happening mike hey what's up man Thanks for uh, thanks yeah, for uh, thanks for chatting with me, man. Yeah, no problem. My pleasure, man. Uh, so I was curious, like, uh, what are you doing in Florida? I actually just doing a little vacay right now. Oh, nothing, uh, oh, you're I'm nothing va- work related. Oh, okay, okay. So you're on vacation. Oh my gosh. Well, not yeah, technically it's spring break. Oh, know, I'm in right now too. So. Oh yeah, because you're in school right now, right? Yep. Uh, what were you going to school again for? I remember we chatted about it, but that's long gone in the fog. No, I hear you. No, originally uh, I, I started going back to school for uh, computer science. Um, you know, I I worked on a lot of with what I do, you know, audio wise, video wise, and graphics and all that stuff. I touch a lot of software, and I kind of thought to myself I could get behind the scenes and work on the code and, and do that and make some money. But um, I realized sooner than later that that probably wouldn't work out for me as far as my sanity. And you know, I could do that <laughs> for a certain, certain amount of time, but uh, probably wasn't the best fit for me. So right now I'm kind of uh, dancing in between political science and sociology, just trying to figure out where I can do the most damage, you know. Try to make a difference. Yeah, totally. That's and that's uh that's the cool thing about reggae too. Um, Miles is part of a band called Seventy Seven Jefferson, but you also do a lot of behind the scene works in that. But the great the great thing about reggae is that it, most of the time it usually comes with a positive uh, positive message. Where where um, you know we're uh, the music's trying to evoke some kind of change, so I can see where it kind of relates there. And so, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and, and reggae is, is special uh, in that that it's so direct uh, compared right. to a lot of other genres. You know, lyrically, um, you know, a lot of other genres you can 
let a thousand people listen to the same song and they'd tell you a different uh, story about it, you know, what their meaning was could be different. But right. reggae, uh, it's a lot more direct. So, yeah, it has a more, um, I don't know, potentially impactful uh, direct message. I, I like that. I like that aspect of it too, because there's no like guessing. <laughs> there's no guessing. It's like we're gonna smoke weed and spread love, and you know, come be a part of the the fun. That's right. It. Um, so with um, so what what instrument do you play in seventy seven Jefferson Jefferson, and what role? Uh, right now, um, live I play the drums. Okay. Um, me and the singer Joel Castillo are the two original members that are left. Um, we've got, uh, I started out when the group started, I was, uh, guitar and keys. Um, but then eventually I, I switched over to the drums and, uh, I've kind of been there ever since, at least live. Um, as far as the recording goes, me and Joel, uh, do the majority of the, the writing and the recording and stuff. Of course, uh, you know, I might lay down the bass line or something, but we might call on our boy Kyle Krause to, to clean it up, our bass player. Mm. Um, but as far as the writing and stuff goes, a, a lot of times it's me and Joel that kind of tackle a lot of that. Okay, okay. So, so uh, what? Where did the seventy-seven Jefferson kind of start? What were the origins? Uh in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, you know, they're uh, the same state as a uh, good old Josh Heinrich. Yeah, good old we're, Josh. But we're uh, a handful of hours north of him. But yeah, we uh, we started in Kansas City, and that's kind of where we got our name too. We just started jamming together, and um, the place we were jamming at the time uh, was on 77th and Jefferson Street. Oh, okay, okay. So we just kind of fell into it, and, and it you know we figured out where we were musically uh, eventually. You know, we didn't always know that reggae was what it was going to be, and that was all the way back in 2006. So. Yeah, um, you got cause you guys got quite a you guys got quite a long list of albums you got out, right? You got guys got about what eight or nine albums, or am I just crazy? yeah? We do. Um, I I think maybe eight out there right now. Um, maybe a EP or something that's hidden that's from way back. <laughs> but um, yeah, we we consistently put out music there from basically 2008 to 2014, probably like one project a year. Um, and the last one we put out and released was uh, the Let Me Know EP in 2014, which hit, I think, number eight on the reggae billboard charts. Yeah, and you uh, guys you guys got quite um, um, like your Spotify number. I mean, I just checked out your Spotify numbers and stuff like that. There's a song off that EP that actually hit pretty, pretty uh, resonated, uh, right? Rock like, Steady. Yeah. Rock Steady, that's about. right. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. you know, the success from Rocksteady, um, we get people sending us pictures or videos all the time from uh, them in the car in Hawaii and the song being on the radio. Uh, oddly <laughs> enough, I think that song gets played maybe daily out there, maybe not quite that, but we get a lot of uh, uh, play out there. And, uh, you know, I think we kind of edge towards that kind of more Hawaiian uh, reggae vibe. You got yeah, and, kind of uh, like an singer, island thing. Yeah, yeah. Our singer Joel, he spent um, uh, he had some family out there in Hawaii. Uh, he spent uh, some time out there after we kind of started recording 
Oh, I think it was our second full album. Um, we went out there and started playing around. I finished up the album uh, back in the States. And uh, he was out there for a handful of months. I don't recall how long, but I think that's probably why a lot of people get confused. They think we're from, you know, Hawaii or California <laughs> or something like that because, uh, yeah, I Probably because he was out there for some time. Well, I mean, like, and that's the other thing I wanted to bring up is like how much how much reggae is really going on in Kansas City. I mean, other than Josh, who is not really in the city, city, but like, I I mean, like, you know, um, you can trace it back to the Blue Rhythm Band um, in the '80s. mm -hmm. They played uh, Front Splash out in Jamaica. There's historical footage out there um, of them jamming overnight, um, which was one of the first kind of big emergences of uh, white reggae bands, uh-huh. um, as far as I know. And, and they're from and, Kansas uh, City? And they're from Kansas City, oh, yeah. Wh- what was their name again? We I'm so had, sorry. Once we came through in 2006, there was kind of a push of groups, maybe five, six, seven decent uh, reggae groups, maybe crossing a little bit into ska or having a little uh-huh. rocky taste. Um, and I... There's a few that are still around, but, uh, you know, Kansas City is a fickle scene, and that's why we always tried to write albums and spread the music outward and get on some tours back then. We don't travel too much right now because, you know, it's life happens, and sometimes you can't get everybody out, but yeah. um, we still are we're still trying to push out the music. Yeah, well, that that's cool. Like, so, so the... So the reggae scene kind of there was like a little reggae scene going on in Kansas City and how did the how did the crowds respond to that? Uh, you know, a few of us in the group might have different explanations or different <laughs> views on this. My view is that the people enjoyed the music. Yeah. Um, you know, we continuously for Kansas City and the venues that are there, we pull in uh, from what the venues tell us. Uh, some of the better draws in the city uh, still. Um, so the people, they really do enjoy the music, but it's fickle in the sense that some people, if you tell them that they're listening and enjoying reggae, they almost, it's like a, like a little switch is flipped and they're like, oh, maybe, it's like I, I shouldn't be listening to this. You know, kind of that almost hipster mentality mm. uh, uh, you know, they might have a little tighter jeans or something. I don't know. But, yeah, it was almost like when she said the word reggae, like 25% of the crowd realized that they were too cool to be listening to it. Which is really strange. Um, because I'm, It is. Go ahead, please. Well, you guys are from a different place, you know, where it's more widely accepted. Right. Um, in Kansas City... Is a little different. Uh, you well, know, there's a lot of different music acts, and the the crowd the crowds are a little fickle. Um, mm-hmm. You know, bars you find that bars and venues pay a lot of people that play cover tunes right. and classic rock tunes and stuff a good deal of money to fill up the three hour slot. Yeah. Freebird, yeah. Uh, <laughs> venues aren't. Yeah, the, the other places aren't willing to dish out money uh, to other places because probably. Just uh, it's hard to get a lot of fans out there. And Kansas right. City is stuck full of musicians. So mm-hmm. I do understand to a point that 
musicians get tied up in their own stuff and at a point in their life don't end up going to see other musicians very often. Right. So that could be a part of the problem as well. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm guilty of it in my own city. I don't get out very often. I understand. I, I I just recently started getting out in San Diego just because I've had a baby and like out of the fog of a newborn, like I emerge. And so, so like I've just started now getting back into like going to see my friends play or going to see a cool show. But was what's interesting, um, because I'm kind of from a Midwest town as well. Um, I'm from Ohio. I'm from Toledo, Ohio. Okay. And for us out there, I reggae was almost seen as like an exotic import, you know, like if someone's playing right. reggae, it's sort of like, woo, you know, like, like out here at San Diego, you throw a stone and hit a fucking, you know, a fucking a, a little white boy, Rasta boy. So like, you know, for, so that's why it was surprising to me that, uh, what you're saying that, uh, that, that was kind of like, they're too cool to listen to reggae. It's like, well, what, you know, what do you get to just listen to Bell and Sebastian all the time? It's like, you know, calm down. Well, I think that it, I think that it also plays into the stigma that reggae has, um, you know, maybe not so much in California, but a lot of places that aren't heavily exposed to it still think that it's all Rasta this and it's all red mm. and golden green and it's all wheat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is part of the, which is one issue I think that we're addressing in that documentary project that Josh Heinrichs and I started when I met you at One yeah. Love Fest. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, so, you know, breaking the stigma, um, because, you know, Rasta, it, it's a religion. So, yeah. in a way, it's like separating church and state. Mm. You know, I think it's, uh, it's, ne- it's a necessity for the genre to progress. Uh, to kind of break away from that kind of stuff, or else it will always be that exotic kind of nostalgic thing right. that just kind of lives one place at that one time. Yeah, totally. Yeah, because it doesn't have to just be about. Uh, it doesn't have to just be about like giving job praise. It, it can be about just you know driving your van to the next gig and that you're just your everyday life, but still incorporate some of that uh, some of that message that that echoes Definitely. from the original. Yeah, man. Yeah, I feel that. Hey, I, I, that kind of clears it up for a little bit for me. It still is weird. Um, do you guys got like um like a hippie scene out in Kansas City? Like where you got like jam bands and stuff going on? Yeah, and I think that we pull a little bit of that crowd into us, um, just because they're kind of the more free spirited and uh, you know, more apt to listening to lyrically controversial stuff. Mm. Um. Uh, yeah, there there is that, but again, not too much. Right, right. If I can paint a picture of the city a little bit, we've got more restaurants per capita than any city in the United States. In <laughs> um, all that, you know, it's like this home, uh, you know, small restaurant place, um, all uh, fresh made, you know, fresh squeezed this. Your drinks are probably going to take 20 minutes to make and you might have 15 ingredients in them. Ah. Your bartender more than likely has a big beard and mustache. Okay. He has lots of uh, mustache wax on, on hand. All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and with that, you know, with any music comes a, a fashion, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's part of pop culture. Right. Um, they kind of, they coincide each other. So, um, when you throw a wrench in somebody's uh, fashion and 
and music taste and stuff, it, if it contrasts too much to what their norm is, then it might not be what they can do or what they can be seen doing, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, so I wanted to, if it's okay, I wanted to just kind of cut away and play rock steady. Is that okay with you? Okay. Yeah, and yeah, then definitely. and then we'll come back and then uh, we'll move on. Just because we were just talking about it, so uh, this is Rock Steady, and this is off of your last EP, right? Yep, uh, yeah. Let Me Know EP released two thousand fourteen. Okay, so this is Rock Steady by Seventy Seven Jefferson. <laughs> When you guys were recording that song, did you kind of have a feel that it might be like one of those songs that kind of like gets gets you guys a little bit more attention, or was it just like this is just another song that we were just feeling and putting on the EP? You know, I think it was me and Joel in a room, and I think we had 
um, one of our keyboard players that's no longer with us uh, at the time. Uh, we were just kind of dicking around and working on another tune. And, uh, you know, I like to overthink things sometimes. <laughs> and uh, with that comes, you know, uh, some more complex music and stuff like that. But in thinking in terms of an audience, I'm a firm believer that... Uh, if you want to reach a greater audience, it has to be somewhat simplistic, um, non-invasive, easy to listen to, easy to sing back to or sing with. Right. Uh, so, it, like this, the song kind of fits the mold. You know, it's a couple chords, um, some vocal harmonies, pretty non-invasive, and you know, it. We we had a feeling that our, our friends out in Hawaii would enjoy it. Mm. So. And so is that who it resonates the most with then? That's mostly where it, it's sort of hitting home? Apparently. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they're still playing it out there. So, that's that's uh, so cool. We're, we're fortunate for that. Were you, were you guys ever able to actually take the band out to Hawaii yet? No, not the whole band. We haven't. Um, oh, okay. You know, Joel's been out there, and we had a, our buddies, uh, you know, when he went out for the first time, uh, Anaheo was just getting bigger and she invited him out to open up her show. Mm. Um, he also, uh, played, I think, one of the major rages with, uh, J-Book CD release. Oh, cool. October out there one year. Um, and we had some friends of ours at Canada Pont, uh, which was with the band Ceasefire now. Um, I think he's got the pocket band. Um, uh, but they backed up. Joel and played, uh, you know, 77 tunes. Oh, um, gotcha. Four parts. So he did get to play a handful of sets, and um, they heard him, and they heard the tunes. It might not have been the full band, but um, nevertheless, they got exposed to the music, and it seemed to be impactful. Yeah, totally, man. That's, that's right on. So um, when you guys are... When you guys are like um, booking tours and stuff, do you mostly go like um, you try to hit like around the region, or where where do you usually sh- try to hit, and where do you you guys usually try to draw? Well, uh, you know, when we first started out, uh, we hopped on the road a lot with Josh. His band was Jaw Roots at the time, mm. uh, and we basically traveled all through the Midwest, um, all the way up north to, you know, South Dakota and Wisconsin and all those places and all the way down through Texas um, and a lot of other places. So we kind of got our start there. And then eventually, I think in 2012, uh, we made it out to uh, California and did a West Coast run. We played Cali Roots official after party. Oh, cool. and uh, we went up and down California and then back up through Oregon, Washington, into Canada and played a, a festival with the Whalers. Tribal Seeds were sp- uh, supposed to be there, but they didn't make it through the border. <laughs> of uh, course not. And we, and we had a, we had a diff- difficult time making it through, too. That, it's always uh, it's crazy getting into Canada these days. It's, it's, yeah, it's it is. It's not happening. But, um, so, you know, then we went out west the next year in 2013, and we opened up the main stage at Cali Roots, uh, which was the last time that the Cali Roots stage was the main stage. 
mm. before the bowl became something other than a camping spot. Mm. All right. Um, and um, then we toured out there again. I think we did a little run with True Press uh, for a little bit and then kept going through California. And that was 2014 to support the last album. And um, other than some regional stuff, uh, we haven't been out west since. Oh, and okay. uh, other than Florida and a few other southern, southeastern states, we haven't really done much of the East Coast either. So oh, okay, right on. Uh, so is this a thing? So are are you guys trying? Is like is it like in the plans decided to like move out and keep going, or are you guys sort of like taking a break? I, I mean, obviously you guys are on a little break for the last couple years here, but like um, not like a huge break, but. Um, are you guys planning on hitting it hard again? Or are you guys just sort of trying to release music and then just sort of play these one-off shows where it's worth it, worth your time or whatever? Um, yeah, we, we're releasing, you know, we're recording another album right now. Um, I think we're going to separate it into two EPs just so we can get some music out sooner than later. Uh-huh. Um, we're really close to having uh, the first part of it done. So I think here before too long, we'll have a release date and start promoting that uh, for pre-sale. Um, as far as the touring goes, uh, it's it's really got to coincide with everybody's life at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I'm a full-time student. I'm pretty busy. Right. Um, just got married last year. Congrats. Uh, Joel, he's got... Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, Joel's got a little daughter. Oh. Um, that he uh, takes care of, and uh, great father, by the way. And uh, I, I just saw a picture of him and his little girl at the Chronics concert last night in Lawrence, Kansas. Oh, nice! They went together, so it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but you know, we do want to get out, and when we do get out, it'll probably be you know a two or three week thing in the summer, mm. uh, whether it's this summer or or, or later in time. Um, I don't know yet. It's it's hard to tell. But yeah, totally. Man. I know that uh, whenever we do decide, we probably got some help. Um, some people on our side that'll help us set that up. Some of the boys with Polynesian Underground. Oh, okay, um, yeah. And that's in the past, who I think also book Heinrich right now. So we would probably try to call upon them to, to line us up, and yeah. also uh, Slick Entertainment down there in San Diego. Yes, sir, Vic. Uh, yeah, Victor, he set us up last time in 2014 and did us right. So, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, Vic, Vic's great. Oh, you know what? I, so I, I had him on the well, show. We're ready to pull the trigger, we definitely will. Yeah. And hopefully we get a chance to get out to promote the new albums coming out. Right. Uh, but we'll see. You know, I don't, I don't want to stress everybody's <laughs> life. Yeah, what totally. we've always done best, you can see with our catalog, we, we, we put out a good excess of music. Right. So as long as we're doing that, and I feel good about it, for sure. Um, do do you kind of yeah. feel like um do you kind of feel like when you're on downtime between albums if that exists for you uh that you get like like itchy or get kind of like anxious like oh, I should be doing something I should be writing or do you get that feeling at all or is it just like ah eh, you go with the each project as they come and you relax about it? I I always seem to have something to fill up my time. Um, make a lot of music that just kind of out, you know, even when I'm working on a, a specific album, if it's a full length, there might be a point in time to where like, you know what, I need to step back for a few days mm. off of this project and I need to just make some rhythms, which is a lot of what I do. Um, and then I end up uh, expediting these songs to other songwriters and they use them. Ah, I see. Uh, 
So my stuff that I do in my free time eventually finds its place and probably in somebody else's hands. Mm. Um, if not, it kind of sits back in a catalog for a while, and then hopefully eventually uh, it does, which is some of, uh, kind of the case in some of Skillinger's uh, upcoming project that we're doing together. He rifled some, uh, through some of my old catalog, and uh, and a lot of it works, and, it, and it's sounding great. We're excited to release that here soon, too. What, uh, what uh, between that, we've got the video production, and, and when yeah. I'm not doing somebody's album, or let's rather say with somebody's album, um, I help do kind of promotional push, uh, setting up, uh, you know, doing all the graphics work for promotion, getting the video pressed, uh, uploading it, getting it for a proper pre-sale, and, uh, you know, some advertising techniques of social media and whatnot, and try to make our release as successful as possible. So I try, in a way, to be like a one-stop shop. Um, not so much a record label or technically a record label, just non-affiliation. You know, Staywise Media is kind of the name that I put on uh, the audio or the video or whatever it may be that I'm working on. Um, yeah, I try to do as much as I can to make everything successful for all parties involved, which ends up taking up a lot of my time. <laughs> it sounds like that's a lot of that's a lot of shit, man. Like video and like video alone is like a whole field that you could just like your career rabbit hole could just be that. But then to add in oh, yeah. all the all the all the audio aspect and promotions, like that's like that's like five or six different people's jobs. <laughs> but I think that's, well, that's kind of the way. I, now that I look back on it, that's. You know, going through school and trying to figure out what's what for me, I've realized that I've kind of done this jumping around my whole life. When and even when it came to instruments, when I was a kid, you know, got guitar, hopped on drums, went to keys, started recording, put it all together. Right. Uh, and then you know the other things I acquired through what Seventy Seven Jefferson needed. We needed a website. I'll learn how to do that. And then I eventually ended up doing that kind of commercially for some time. Uh, we need, you know, T-shirts. And I've learned how to do graphic design. And ended up working for a couple companies that did uh, that for, uh, like, Jam Cruise, Blues Cruise, and all that. We did a lot of designs for those. Holy shit. Uh, Mine Holiday. Then um, we needed video. My, and my buddy Lance Sutton, Josh's friend in Springfield, shot our These Days video, which is one of our most popular songs. And after that, I was like, okay, well, we need to be able to do this on the wind. So then I started getting into video. Um, yeah, I just kind of seem to have a kind of a sick obsession with learning the new things that are needed. Um, it might take a toll on my, my body and my, my mind sometimes, but, uh, I don't know if I would be happy without that kind of sick drive, oh. you know, Rubik's Cube. Well, I got to figure this out, so right. now I can do a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> how do you deal with like how, how do you deal with like the stress of all of that like what what how, what's your outlet for that uh ultimately the main outlet is the music man um, right. being able to sit there and you know relax uh and, and sometimes that that's working with my stuff you know when i right. don't know specifically that somebody it's going to be on it. I'm not doing it necessarily for somebody at that moment, but I might be thinking who will sound good on this. Yeah. But sitting there and just plugging away, putting down a good key line, a fat bass line, you know, making a tune, 
and that's putting it away. Like all of a sudden, the day's gone, and I'm chill. <laughs> that's awesome. So, like, so when you, so like under the stress of deadlines and stuff like that, you'll sort of step away and sort of do your own thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you try not to set deadlines unless you know it's done. So. Yeah. That the, doesn't always work out that way. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But what? Um, so you don't do like uh, you don't do like any kind of like meditation or anything like that. You don't like you don't like exercise. You don't punch a bag or anything. You don't <laughs> scream into a pillow. Um, I don't know. I was just I'm just curious because that's a lot of shit. Like that's. Like, I've got a I've got a competitive mindset. Um, I've got you know I love my I love I love sports. I love my Kansas City Chiefs. Okay. It's a good outlet for me on Sundays, although they stress me the hell out sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the Royals. So I like the sports and stuff. I like going to a good ball game. Um, I did, you know, back in the day, I did do some meditation. When I was first in college, I took a lot of philosophy classes and kind of explored uh, some things that I wanted to answer for myself, or at least a way to, a guideline to to look at things. Um so in that process, I think I found out uh, a way to decipher through stuff and prioritize how much weight I put on myself with certain things, you know, or how bad I make myself feel if if uh, things don't go right or find a way to deal with that kind of stuff. Um, but the meditation is good. I should probably get back into that a little bit because that was very uh, relaxing. Stuff. But in a way, you know, maybe like certain other certain drugs or something, everything, you could use it to, for like a learning tool. Right. But kind of like learning your ABCs, like once you know your ABCs, you're not going to continuously go to school and learn your ABCs. You know, <laughs> if I learn something from this, then I don't have to continuously do this to to have it. Right. If that, if that makes any sense. It does make sense. Um, for me, I, I'm like, I have to like practice something to keep it going because my mind tends to be a little bit lazy so like if i just get off track for a little bit i'll tend to like go to the sloth side of my brain and just be like i'll just go watch netflix so if i don't so like so like for instance like i'm just starting to get into meditation and so like i have to kind of practice that or else i won't go into it and like i'll just let myself build and like stress out or like right. or or just staying busy and like staying on top of my work it's like i got you know you got a ton of work to get done but i'm sitting there watching house of cards you know on netflix and right. you, you know it's just like working against that resistance if i don't practice that i, I i'll just lose it and so it, it's that's cool that you could just sort of like oh i i i'm gonna take what i can get from that and that that helps but it's not really for me forever it, like the same thing with like with taking mushrooms like I, I just took mushrooms i was in ohio for a long time and i was taking mushrooms and it was great but then like i i took too many like like consecutively and my brain yeah. sort of like rejected that and it's like i didn't have a bad trip but i took them like too close to get so i took one one day and then i took another dose like another day and then I took another one another day and my brain was like no nah, you can't you can't just be stressing your right. brain out like that too much so i have to like sort of back up and not right. let that go and i mean i'm getting older i i don't need to be taking drugs you know i don't drink or, or smoke or do anything like that anymore but once in a while i'll go and just like flush my brain out with some psychedelics i don't know that's, sure. 
Well, now that's a perfect example of what I was talking about when I said, you know, maybe some drugs like mm-hmm. that. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> if you trace back to like the shamans and stuff, they did uh, use peyote and mushrooms in the same fashion, but they never continuously did it. You know, they right. would go on their journey and, and, and learn what they needed to, and then they would come back with the wisdom that they thought that they had gained and, and, and utilized that uh, throughout their life. Maybe going back and revisiting from time to time. But yeah, it's it's the same kind of premise. Um, and you know, with a lot of actions and drugs included, uh, one of my earlier papers in college was on neuro... Uh, neurotheology was kind of a brand new thing, but they were taking brain... Uh, shooting iodine into people at certain points, like a Buddhist monk in uh, the peak of his meditation stage, or somebody on mushrooms, or a preacher, or somebody speaking in tongues. Mm. And they were doing these brain thermal readings of their brains... And they're very similar. You know, the peripheral lobes were, were going crazy, and they're using more than uh, than we usually do of our brains simultaneously. Um, so the effect of these things are very similar, uh, which fascinated me. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah but that... again, you know, there's a there's time and a place for it, and I think there's just something to be learned, and uh, then you can put it away for a while and and revisit it if you have to. Right. But just like anything, it's you know everything in moderation. Oh, totally. And I'm I'm terrible with moderation. It's like that's why I had to quit drinking because moderation is right. not in my wheelhouse. Uh, my wife. Well, I don't think does anything for anybody other than maybe allow them to have a good time for a certain amount of time to you know in moderation. Uh, maybe you can get lucky from time to time, but <laughs> yeah. But, you know, a lot of bad, a lot of bad things come from from alcohol too. So it's not my favorite of substances. No, not but at I all. Just don't it oh my! But you know, I it's the thing. I haven't drank in like four years, but like I still like. God damn! I just want. I wish that I wouldn't have went so hard in my twenties, so I could enjoy my later years in life. Because now that I'm in my thirties. I would love to have a drink with the boys and just hang out. I'd love to just smoke like a joint with some, you know, people I just met and have a great time. And I'd love to, you know, whatever else might come my way. But no, I had to like go the hardest I could possibly go in my 20s and ruin everything for ruin all the good times that substances can bring for the rest of my life. So that's, uh, you know, that's that and moderation and all that shit. But yeah, like there's nothing like having just like a nice drink with the boys or, you know, watching the game and having a beer and chicken wings or whatever. It's like it's there's it's nice. It's communal. It's it's like right, right. the libations. Now my there's wa- a certain camaraderie in it. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah, you just you sharing the moment, sharing this this feeling, this buzz or whatever. That so like you were in school for neuro neuroscience? At first, no, no, that was that was a uh, it was actually connected to a, a philosophy paper that I was oh, writing okay. when I was first in school. I graduated high school in like two thousand one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was that, that was my first stint before I I ditched conventional college and did a little audio production program in the city, and uh, that was it until about a year and a half ago when I went back. 
Oh, okay. So, so, so that, about a decade or more in between. <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, man going back to school. So, when you go back to school now, is are you just like surrounded by a sea of children? Is it is it awkward for you, or is it like a lot of younger people? But no, the way that the way that my uh, the way that I see it is kind of like I look at everything else. You can find uh, positives in almost anything, right? Um, even the biggest negatives, if there are, there's a way to turn that into a positive eventually. But anyway, that's not quite as harsh as this. Um, the positive with this is that I, uh, you know, if I'm in political science or if I'm in sociology, I've got a unique opportunity to evaluate the the next generation, mm-hmm. you know, the generation for me, um, which is a useful tool um, to kind of get the vibe, especially in a, like I crossed the border of Missouri and go over into Kansas, so it was an interesting place to be in school during and taking government classes during the election. Oh yeah, uh, last year. Um, so I take, I try to take advantage of everything that I can learn even from the people. Yeah, that that's a great way to look at it, cause um, cause yeah, because man, the youth they're they're quite a mystery to me. Like that, and they're just a generation away, you know. And it, there's still a part of me that's still holding on to that, but then there's also this part of me that's sort of like, I'm just trying, I'm just maturing into war- whatever I'm going to be, you know, as I get older. But but man, yeah, that that's just like the youth. Like <laughs> it's almost like this. Anxiety. It's our future. You know, it is. Our future, so. It's, it's good to keep a finger on the pulse and, and, and know what's what. What what kind of what kind of um, what kind of uh, I don't know what what did you kind of mine out of just being in those like political science classes during the election from the youngsters like what where was their mindsets that you well, noticed the majority uh, actually you know the majority of them didn't know where they stood on a lot of stuff they have certain feelings and uh, moralities that they follow but they really you know, weren't sure where they stood on stuff. And, uh, they, you know, me and, oddly enough, me and my, my teacher, we got into it quite a bit there because he was a pretty conservative guy. And he uh. said, beginning class, it would be a, shame, a sin for him to push, uh, you know, his views on such an adaptable young student body. Right. But did he have any, uh, did he mean what he said there? No, because he sneakily tried to convince these people of uh, his ways without saying, in my opinion. Yeah. And that was, that's the difference. You know, a couple of times we had a sub, which was a breath of fresh air, because he would say some of the same things, but he would at least state that it was his opinion. So these kids didn't take it as fact. Mm. Okay. Um, so he's just trying to be sneaky. He being an older student in there, I, I, I just... At times, I couldn't just sit there and, and let it happen. So I would raise my hand, and we would go back and forth a little bit, which was a form of entertainment for everybody. <laughs> but uh, ultimately, that's what needs to happen is uh, is conversations, which we're having too little of nowadays. Hey, I um, agree with that. We're so polarized that we there's no middle ground, and people aren't even allowing the time to have a real conversation about it. Everybody's just so hard up about what it is they think yeah. is right and wrong. Yeah, everybody's just throwing shit at each other, and it's just what, what's the point? There's nothing. There's no. There's nothing being solved by just yelling at each other or telling you the other person is wrong. I mean, like just having an open mind and like stepping back and, and listening to both sides. And like 
and 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 in the end, it's funny because you mostly see that there's a lot more in common than difference when you talk to people. Hey. Yeah, absolutely. And so, absolutely. It, and it's it's kind of a misconception of how polarized we are, but yet we we are so quick to cut each other's heads off on this stuff. So, learning to have that conversation, I think, is step one. And us being able to have that conversation, I think, is one of the greatest tools that we have. You know. Yeah. The whole we the people thing, they've got us separated, you know, cut down 50-50 right now. So they've pretty much disabled the power of we the people. Yeah, and until we all realize that our biggest weapon we have is is us together. You know, it, it's, a, it's, it's crazy when you see, like, when the Royals won the World Series or the Cubs won the World Series the last couple of years, the amount of people in the city, millions of people, uh, they get together and celebrate together for one cause. And it's as silly as a sporting team, you know? Right. Um, if I were somebody in big government and wanted, you know, didn't want the people to have that kind of power, when I look at that picture of World Series people, that would kind of scare me because I would start to wonder if there is a way that these people could get on the same page one day and do something big well i mean that was the whole thing with like bernie sanders like they they started seeing this huge this huge fuck it this huge wave sort of swelling up and then they they yep. went in there sort of the dnc even like even the ones who were supposed to be like the left liberals where they're just like cut that down really quickly yeah and which uh, is yeah. which is um, for the record I, I love me some bernie sanders me too uh-huh. man i was all about bernie yeah, be sand, baby. You know, uh, one thing kind of a that I a lot of people thought he was kind of a one trick pony. Mm. You know, just on the one percent the whole time, and right. and yeah, the DNC wasn't fair to him, and I pretty much think that they squashed his chances. Mm-hmm. When the one thing that you could see is that on both sides, the people wanted something anti-establishment, and right. Trump represented on one side, and Bernie represented that on the other. Um. And that didn't work out for us. No, it did so, not. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you, I and mean, it is what it is right now. But you know, yeah, they're the getting back to the youth. Yeah. Uh, they are charged. Mm-hmm. They are uh, involved, and they're ready to be involved. So I think you know, eventually the tables might turn and. I've always said, you know, simple logic of when somebody starts to lose their grasp on something, they squeeze harder. And that's kind of what we're dealing with right now. Right. Yeah, I mean like out of out of all of this, the the looking at the positive side of it is that you do you do like people are engaged and people are they want something different and even though they went the other direction, you know, in <laughs> whatever the heck, you know, but like, but there are that. We had a lot of upset burners that that might have done the protest vote. You yeah. know, they could have went for Trump just because of the never Hillary thing, or they could have went for Johnson or uh, for right. Stein. Right. Um, and ultimately, do I think that was the cherry on top that did it? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And. uh there's lessons to be learned in that. And, you know, I'm not going to point my finger and say, you know, you dumb Trump voters, look what you did, because that's not how we move forward.
No, that's sort uh, of just throwing the shit at the other people, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, and, and, I, and you can't blame people for voting for Hillary, and you can't blame people for voting Trump because of the confusion that exists in our whole uh, political process. You know, the the advertising, the lies, the what is true, what isn't, you know, her emails, but did you go through her emails? Everybody talks about emails, but did you really find anything in there? Did you actually read them? Um, you know, there's just such confusion about what is really what that you can't blame the people necessarily um, for going the way they did. Now, maybe some people are an exception to that. There's a lot of bad people out there that don't like a, a progressive state of mind, but... Um, you know, I, I, I try my hardest to diffuse situations like that. I always stick my neck out in social media when people are killing each other over this stuff and try to throw out a little bit of double-sided uh, something that we can both grab onto. And you can say, okay, I agree to disagree maybe or calm down at least and not call each other names because it's just <laughs> not it's forward. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. You know, forward, never backwards. Yeah, man. Totally. And, um, I was uh, I was looking into this whole like new healthcare thing, and I'm sorry to fucking keep pulling in the politics thing, but like um, the 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 people who are going to be affected the most by these new if this new healthcare act gets passed are the people are majority of the people who voted for Trump the the poor because um, there's a there's kind of a breakdown. So like if you made about 50,000 this is just with the obamacare they went through uh they they based it on your income so if your annual income was $50,000 they'd give you about $13,000 in credit towards your health care so with the new care health care act they go by age so i think it's like 60 and over get $4,000 credit and then anybody under 60 gets $2,000 in credit and so if you're making under, it doesn't matter how much you make, you just get that $2,000 of credit. So what's going to happen is all these poor people are about to lose their coverage that they were getting through this new health care act that Obama passed. Sorry, the Obamacare. And with this new stuff, it, with this new one, they're only going to get a $2,000 credit. And so you're just going to have a bunch of people losing their, their health care. And most of those people voted for Trump, and that's uh like to me that's that's like that's horrible, you know. Like how how are we gonna how do you how do you fix something like that if it passes? Like how do you how you what what's gonna happen now? Like what what are those people gonna do? Like how are they even gonna like make it? I mean, they're basically going back to having no insurance. Is what's gonna happen? Yeah, and and we might run into some unfortunate times, but I would like to think that this just adds to the boiling point. Right. You know, like I was talking about the each side realizing that we are the weapon. Um, right. Because, yeah, think eventually the people that did vote that way will feel like they got snowed a little bit. And some won't feel that way just out of stubbornness, perhaps. But, um, but yeah, I think hopefully it just adds to the boiling point and we smarten up in elections to come. Um you know, I'm not even sure if, if this guy will make it all the way through a term uh, before he something to get him kicked out or worse. But um, Or if he just know, never leaves, he pulls the Putin and just, it's like, I'm not leaving. This is how it works. I don't out. think they'll allow that to happen. I, I would uh, hope not. 
but you know, let's let's just hope that it, it adds to the boiling point, and eventually we can all come together with a little more uh, clear view on how things actually are, instead of taking one jackal's word for it. Now, um, totally switching topics here, but how the hell do you become a member of a voting member of the Grammys? Um, I became a voting member of the Grammys last year, the year before. Um, basically, um, a buddy of mine who plays a 77, um, occasionally, he's a great Eddie Moore. He's a up and coming, uh, big jazz, uh, pianist, keyboardist. But he was a member, and he, uh, you know, told me that I should look into it when I had enough material to submit and uh, be in for contention. So basically, you get onto the Grammy Pro website and become national or a member of the National Recording Academy. And doing that, you have to submit your work, hmm. um, you know, show what you've been on and what you're doing in it. Um, you know, and did I play the drums through this, or did I do all the instrumentation? I did the production, and I also did these videos. And so I just kind of submitted my work. You know, showed them the the three Billboard top ten things that I did, and, um, and then you kind of play the waiting game. And uh, a month later, they either deny you or accept you. And uh, from there, then you get a list of things that you can vote upon, uh, depending on what it is that you do. Uh, so for me, since I, you know, did a lot of songwriting, did a lot of instrumentation, did production, uh, did video work and stuff like that, I've got a nice array of things I can vote for. You have like your 15 main categories that you can vote for, and then they put in another, I think, 20, uh, close to 20 categories, depending on what it is that you do. Oh, okay. So um, I've gone through the voting process twice now. And, uh, yeah, it's cool. And it's a nice tool for musicians. Once you get become a member, you have access to the Grammy Pro website, which becomes a whole other side of networking, kind of like Facebook, but it's just with Grammy members, which is, oh, cool. uh, I think, I think there's maybe 22,000, 23,000, uh, members in the mm -hmm. world. Uh, so when you think about it, it's like, wow, that's not very many. That's like, third of the people you can fit in Arrowhead Stadium for a Chiefs game. Right, exactly. And that's all your voting members. So that's kind of cool, but uh, they also have, you know, they have like videos of forums. So you've got the head of Spotify meeting with this record exec and this artist, and they have like a, you know, do a, a presentation um in front of an audience, but you have access to all the videos and stuff. So you kind of get linked into the business side of it a little more and how our uh, industry is going to be working in the future. And, and ours, you know, we're going to have to fight and scat for what's ours here pretty soon because of all the streaming yeah. and everything. Uh, 10 bucks a month to Spotify or wherever isn't going to pay these artists. No, uh, no, no. What they're due, I just saw yesterday like Pharrell that song Happy oh yeah was a huge hit for him yeah. you know 24 million streams or whatever paid him uh, I think 2400 bucks yeah off I, I saw something like that yeah I saw I, I saw that too that that's that's crazy that is like crazy like and if 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 24 million people paid a dollar for that song you know, after iTunes taxes you and all, but like right. you would still see a considerable more amount. I mean, well, and that number isn't 
that's not what he made total off the song. Right, of course, just off the streaming. Streams. I'm right. sure he made a killing off of, of iTunes and stuff as well. But, you know, iTunes is switching over to a stream thing. And mm-hmm. I got the radio. and So all of our platforms are continuously going to change, and it's going to be a continuous battle with, you know, uh, our industry to to get what's due. What what I mean? Uh, what what's even the solution for this? I mean, like, what what? How do we even fix this? I mean, do you? Do well, you know, at this point, yeah, it may sound funny to say, but people that have the the power, you know, if if you got to cut a stool to do something, then I think you should do it. You have an obligation, to do it. and that's I have a hard time just being a fan of people's music now. It's like I got to dig into more of who they are. Like, sure, I think some of Kanye West stuff is good, but do I enjoy listening to it? I can't because I don't like who he is as a person. I think the way that he uses his platform is poor. Um, In, uh, you know, contributing to a successful youth uh, up and coming, I think he does nothing for him, probably does a negative effect. So it's like... um, Taylor Swift, on the other hand, she, you know, fights Spotify. Somebody like that, um, oddly enough, Taylor Swift does so much for the music industry in that category uh, of making sure that companies are paying artists well, just by denying her fame to them. Uh, And if other artists do the same, then that's one way to do it. But, you know, the lawyers of the people that run the record labels that are signed and are going to make the big money off of that, they're the ones that are going to lead the way. And that might hurt the smaller artists um, still, but you know, a little bit at a time. No, no one answer is going to fix the thing. It's going to be a continuous fight. But, because it's, you know, our technology will consistently change and our, our attack on making sure that it's right will consistently change and we'll, it'll just be an ongoing thing. Well, I mean, on the, on the flip side of that, I mean, the way streaming and the way that we access music now has sort of helped the independent artists get to a point of recognition to where at least they can go and sell tickets, you know, at a show. So, I mean, it, so, I mean, there's a, there's a plus side of it. I mean, an artist can put something out on YouTube and, and it sort of just brought down the, 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 the gatekeepers, you know, so... I mean, right. As far as exposure goes, the streaming and stuff has helped the smaller guys right, right. now. Maybe not pay the bigger guys as much as they should be. Yeah. But you know, we have the option when we upload our albums into whatever digital distributors that we decide on, whether it be CD Baby or TuneCore or something like that. You know, we have the options of saying yes to Spotify, no to Spotify, yes right. to this, no to this. And for us, you know, of course, it's an easy yes because we want the recognition, we want the music to spread as much as we can. Um, you know, a little bit, a fraction of this stream is better than no fraction of that stream for us. Right. Um, and we continuously get to gain fans upon it. So, um, you know, yeah, we get a check from Spotify and I'm not upset with it <laughs> and they're doing pretty fine right now, but right. it will change at some point to where, uh, you know, that won't be the case and we'll have to do whatever the next thing is or, or find a way to resolve an issue. Now, you were saying something about K-1 
Kanye and how like you can't separate the his, the artist from the person. Does that is that apply to most artists out there? Like for instance, we'll go we'll go like on a little bit larger scale, like Bill Cosby and his allegations of rape. And then also his like wealth of material of like uh, and like the good he did for like the black community and like he's a funny ass dude. It's like so like now that these allegations are out, is like can you not appreciate what he's done artistically? Yeah, it's a little tough to sit there and watch a, an episode of the Cosby Show. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's almost like you don't watch it for the same enjoyment. You kind of watch it as almost a joke at this point. Right. Well, um, now you're like, yeah. oh, just see it, like, picking out every little nuance of him, like, what he said, and it's like, oh, yeah, I right. know what that means. I know what that means. Right. Okay. Uh, right. So, so it's tough, you know. So I think deep. as a person, if you if you have the mindset to kind of dig into things and want to unfold a lot of stuff and get deeper than the surface, then eventually you have the hard time separating um, one thing from the other. And... Um, for better or for worse, you know, that's kind of what stuck with me. Okay. Um, I, I I can't turn the cheek and enjoy that and know that this has happened. Hmm. Uh, you know, and that's going to follow everybody. Like Casey Affleck winning Best Actor at the Oscars, um, handed an award by the best the years before Best Female Actress who had played a victim of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And Casey Affleck has been accused of sexual assault. So oh, there's trauma there and, and there's plenty to write about. Mm-hmm. Now, does some of this stuff get blown out of proportion occasionally? Sure. And why would that be? Well, because it's these controversial issues that get views, that sell, you know, that make right. these news places money. So that's kind of where we're at as far as the media goes. Is You know, we get handed the race thing a lot when they want to stir stuff up and that's been going on since the beginning of our country before the revolution. Um, you know, the, the three fifths agreement, um, back in yeah. 17, whatever, 18, whatever it's, uh, that took over the convention when uh, so much of our country's future was to be decided for a hundred years or more. Um, the majority of the time when talking about the three fifths agreement, trying mm-hmm. to get African American to be three-fifths of a person right. to count for a vote and the southern states more money for uh, federal funding. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it, it, there's a trend, you know. We yeah, always have echoes through the time. Whether it's Michael Jackson or Britney Spears or a wardrobe malfunction or something like that, there's always something that is used just for clicks or for views. And uh, is that right? Probably not. Um, and I've got a feeling that our media will start nothing away here in the next couple of years and start to give us a little bit more of a edge that we need as a society. Well, I think it has to because of just the power of the internet. Like, because I mean, like, there is so much misinformation. There's so much bias opinion that people can sort of gravitate to that sort of just resonates with their own like squirrely little thoughts. But but through that, I think what's coming out is this like independent media that, that where people are um, 
or people are actually like, are they're sick of this shit? They're sick of hearing some pretty blonde spew fucking propaganda for some you know orange face asshole. You know, it's like like people are sort of getting sick of just this left right leaning i mean msnbc is the, the same shit it's just left all the way to the left here too right. so it's like so and like, again that just goes with pointing fingers at one another and it's not moving forward right and unfortunately we do have a lack of like um you know nonpartisan, uh non-profit news um and people don't exactly know where to look for that i mean there are places to get that right. um but yeah so that's kind of why I, I, I'm kind of crossing between sociology and political science and stuff like that right now, because it's like, is the, is the problem in the policy uh, or is the problem with the people and in our minds and how we're perceiving things and allowing things to happen? Um, so that's, uh, that's the crossroads that I'm at right now, is where can I try to make the most difference? Yeah, I can feel that, man. I mean, uh, I, I, you know, I love, I love America. Like, I, there's no place I'd rather be born in. Like, I mean, no, like, there's, first of all, everybody who's born in America has some sort of privilege. I mean, and I'm not trying to say white privilege or anything like that. I'm just saying only because we're born in a place where we can actually go and drink water. Most places, except for Flint and some other places. But most people can go and get clean water when they need it. Um, you know, that's not... Yeah, we're that's extremely not, blessed as a country. Yeah. And- you know, a lot of people's argument is like, we've got to go so good, what the hell is everybody arguing about? But, you know, or the protesters, like, get a job, blah, 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 you know, why are you protesting against this? And it's like, listen, man. Well, the is, government's not so, like, I'm not a, so keen on our government. It's a tool for us to have uh, to be able to do that. Yeah. And we want to make it perfect. And it's this ideal that we can continuously make things better, which I guess you could say progressive is the proper term for that. Right. Um, <clears throat> so I think that will always prevail and it should always be there. And unless we are slapped with just a complete sense of helplessness, even worse than we already have. Hmm. And which who knows, you know, the idea of another civil war isn't a hundred percent out of the question. Ooh. <laughs> um, uh, so I was rolling through your guys' catalog, and I saw that you guys had a song with Eddie Blunt. And yeah, from yeah. from High Tide, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Actually, him and uh, I think it was, um, yeah, Eddie Blunt's on there. Ian Young produced the track. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sound is the name of the track. Um, that song was actually just kind of already pre-worked and sent to us. Uh, then oh. we recorded some vocals on it and uh, got the opportunity to put it on our album as well. And they oh, okay. did, they released it also, but I believe that is a little bit different uh, fashion. We kind of added a different verse in there. And, and High Tide did bit. or, or Yeah, I think High Tide did. Yeah. Uh, you know, to be honest, I think it might have been Ian Young and... Danny Herbs or DJ oh, yeah, yeah. Skanks. Skanks, yeah. That's, um, well, that's the band I play yeah. with. I play with uh, Skanks Roots Project and Eddie and and Danny Herbs, yeah. <laughs> Skanks. Right, right. Um, so it, it might have been Skanks and Ian that put that tune together. Mm, okay, uh, okay. So maybe, did that end up 
on the skate screen? I can't remember. I'm so bad with these. I'm things. not sure. Uh, it I could have been on a high tide album. So. I, I just, I, I just saw that. I was like, oh, sweet, Eddie Blood. Okay, cool. I know that guy. I, I'm actually we're doing a short run in, um, up in uh, Central Valley this weekend. Just sort of, oh, cool. yeah, man. Eddie's a yeah. good dude. Have, have you ever met Eddie outside of just? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We played a show with him eventually. Uh, I think maybe 2013. Oh, okay. Cali concert show in ah. some small California town. Oh, yeah. That's those. That's so weird. These, I love California and the diversity of it. But you like you get in these like weird Central Valley towns and. I love the people. It's just like it's just it's just like the most. It's like weird. It's like I don't know. Like it, I'm sure like it gets kind of weird in the sticks of Kansas. God knows it gets weird in Ohio, but right. it's just <laughs> I love that though. I love it's, that. It's a different way of life. You know? Totally, I, and I it's love a different it. Mindset, so. <laughs> it. Like we're in Salt Lake City, and this cat came up to us, and he was just. He was like really aggressively, you know, fanboying out. And then like it got real dark and when he started talking about and he was a portly fella. I he doesn't seem like he's too uh good with the ladies. And then like it got real dark when he was talking when he was cuz um this like this lovely young lady walked in front of us and he was he, all of a sudden he just started like oh my god oh doing like the whole like oh like this like total predatory thing i mean it was outside of salt lake city so it was like out in the one of the smaller areas so it's just once you get out there where people are sort of um there's only so many of them to go around, you know. There's only so many people that know each. Everybody knows each other. Everybody knows each other's shit. It just sort of starts getting a little weird when you sort of are just passing through and interacting. But sure. I love it. I live for that. This is like for me. That is like that's life to go and see that side of the world because I'm stuck here in a city where I don't, you know, I'm in my own little bubble. You know, I don't go out anywhere other well, than to get to see that it's the contrast it's yeah. the contrast in life that really give us full perspective of stuff you know if every place in in the states was just like california <laughs> then nobody would have anything different to see or hear about or write about or think about um you know it, it's kind of you know the variety is the slice of life type of thing it gives yeah, us totally. uh, a kind of a deeper perspective so yeah regionally uh, different city to city I mean, don't get me wrong. In every city, you know, you could possibly find some bunch of weirdos, oh yeah, crazy people, tons Everybody of weirdos, and crazy in our own ways. But um, you know, there's definitely a, a good mix of different types of people all the way throughout this country. Um, so California is in in my in my book, California is doing something good because they're one of my favorites. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I love California. I mean, especially being from a place that where it's like it gets like 80 days of sunshine a year. California mm-hmm. is like my shit. <laughs> so it's like you spend you spend a majority of your life in in, in half darkness. You're just sort of yeah, like everything's bright out here. Um, when you guys are recording, do you have your own personal studio space? Is that where you do most of the stuff? Like, what is that? What does that look like? I've been in and out of some studio spots. You know, I always have a home studio set up uh-huh. to do a lot of my mixing and whatnot. Um, so, so when you, you know, I, I live downtown Kansas City, and okay. and 
the majority of my last releases were done in a studio spot I had just a block away from my place. It was nice. Make a cup of coffee, walk two minutes to my studio, and and get some work. Um, but we lost that building because the guy that ran it, um, I don't know, something happened financially. They were going to buy a owner, raise the price, and yeah. we ended up having like a week to get out of there. Oh, Jesus. Um, which was unfortunate. So yeah. um, between... Um, my home studio and a few other places that I can go to track drums and stuff like that. It's all pretty much done at, at, uh, at homes and stuff now. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah. Which, with today's day and age and technology, doesn't hinder you that much. No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, like that. You now with like Heinrich, um, the the last album you guys did. Now that was all recorded and mixed and mastered by you or did uh, what was yeah yeah with Heinrich's last album good vibes um we started it out i took the trip down to springfield took my home studio down to his house mm. did a little makeshift setup uh in his downstairs area and we recorded the backbones to all the songs you know his, his guitar and his vocals uh-huh. um from there i kind of worked out a few things just for direction purposes and you know for me working with a singer songwriter it's it's really you know it's like it's like jumping into somebody's painting you know and telling them use this brush or use this set of colors or do this or do that but i had the opportunity to put most of the instrumentation drums guitar keys a lot of the bass and stuff on on uh that album and did uh so you know, it's an intimate process, and right. there's got to be trust uh, on his part to me. And um, then eventually, once we got a lot of things worked out and the instrumentation laid out, he came to Kansas City, came to my studio space, and we knocked out what we needed to that he still needed to contribute to the album. Uh, and then uh, shot a video for Puff Herbs and uh, started the promotion process. All in one. That's I love that. I love that all in one thing. That's um that's intense, man. So with uh, I think we were kind of talking about with Josh when I first met you guys, but like you guys intentionally went in for an R and B like kind of soul type of thing. Um, was that a change for Josh? Because like I I'm not too familiar with Josh's whole catalog. I know he goes some pretty straightforward, just like you know. Right. feel good reggae stuff what, what right. was that a new approach that you guys kind of came together and thought of or was it he was like hey yeah. I wanna you make know this like kinda... i was just talking about as far as like the painting of, right. the, of the, the project or the, the thing and, and having a a uh you know a link with our mindsets and it was my job to kind of or i took it upon myself to kind of pull things out of josh that that maybe he hadn't tried before. Me knowing Josh for a long time, I know he loves R&B. I know he loves the island reggae and the, the vocal harmonies. Mm. Um, and then a lot of times the island reggae does have an R&B kind of Oh, sound. my God. I love the green. Uh, and he they does just into a lot of straight-up R&B anyway. Yeah. So in this, you know, some of his last albums didn't necessarily show any of that. Right. Um, so I wanted to slow down his process a little bit. I wanted to edge him towards things that he enjoyed and he loved that he necessarily, not necessarily really showed in any of his other music. Um, so as we got the backbone to his tunes, the guitar and the, and the vocals, um, it's really the instrumentation behind that that pulls out one genre or the other right. that adds to the radio. 
you know, so depending on the key line or the type of bass line or the type of drums that we put on it, invoked a certain style. So we started the process at his place, and I started to show him what I liked R&B and to adding into his music, and uh, he was enjoying it too. So on some of the tunes, we did go that direction uh, from there. We never really had the mindset of this is going to be a more of an R&B album. We kind of mm-hmm. took it song for song. And I think there's, you know, a handful or less of tunes that are R&B in there. Um, But, yeah, you know, one song at a time. But I definitely wanted, if the song was, if the vibe was aching towards that and was acceptable for that R&B vibe, I wanted to offer it to him at least to see how it felt about it. And then a lot of them, it went good. Now, sure, he slapped, he he denied a few of them. A couple more of the songs might have originally been in an R&B fashion. Um, they said, I'm not, you know, let's, let's do this with that and let's right, do right. this with that. Um, and that's the process, a little yeah, back totally. and forth, but you got to have honest feedback and, you know, be able to take constructive criticism and, and not get butthurt about stuff, oh, uh, right. in that process. Because ultimately artists are real sensitive about their shit. Hell uh, yeah, they are. And that's why groups and groups will find, you know, if you learn or start talking to more groups, you'll find that there's usually maybe a couple of the guys that do a lot of the writing slash recording. Um, and then a lot of the other guys just kind of put their flavor on it when they do it live. Yeah. And that's because, you know, it's, it's, it's more difficult and it's a lot more time consuming for everybody to contribute uh, something because, you know, artists are, they're hard up. If they got a feeling like it should be this or do that, then, and that's the way they want to put it. And if you got six or seven guys and they're all putting in their input, it's really hard to come out with output. Yeah, totally. Uh, or time-consuming, or rather. Or time consuming rather. Um, For sure. Man. But there are bands like Fortunate Youth. They record all live yeah. uh, for the most part. So they've worked out the songs live, probably together as a group. Um and then they go into the studio and everybody plays it at the same time as to where a lot of my process is kind of writing it as we are recording. Hmm. Okay. Well, that, and then that's the benefit of sort of doing it on your own in your own like home studios and portable setups is like, you're not, cause like it might, I've been in situations where we're writing in the studio and paying to write out the song, you know? So right. Like, right. Uh, and there's pressure there. Right. There's too much pressure. Right. And so, ultimately, you know, you just don't know. And that's part of my thing right. with, with the last one with Josh. It's like, let's slow down your process. Let's make sure we don't miss anything that we want to do. Let's not rush it. And let's explore, uh, you know, certain doors and certain opportunities to go into music. So, yeah, it's really nice and beneficial to be able to take your time on a project, not have to just spend boatloads of money, right? Um, you know, in the studio and be pressured to get done in a certain amount of time slot that you have. So, um, definitely beneficial. What um okay so I we're we're getting close to here wrapping up but I wanted to uh, ask you a couple quick questions. What um uh, what are some of your um what are some you know what let's cut away. Do you think Josh would mind if we play one of his songs? I wanted to play one of his slow jam songs. Do you think you would mind or should I just probably not? No, oh. I think it'll be all right. With that, which one are you gonna take? Good vibes. Uh yeah, probably something off of um. 
Is Good Vibes the one? What's the one that has like that little guitar break where it's like. Okay, let's listen. <laughs> Uh, that's I don't know names of song. I just know like do do do. Okay, sorry. Uh, let's listen to Good Vibes and we'll come back and wrap up. So this is Good All Vibes right. and this was produced by Miles and written by Josh and Miles. Did you guys wrote it together or he had the chords and the song? He had the chords, uh, the structure, um, and then I just uh, backed it up with with uh, the instrumentation. Okay, put some flavor on. All right. Well, let's listen to this song by Josh Heinrichs. So we got 
back okay so that was a great example of how um you guys sort of took that blend of of slow jams r&b-ish and in the soul and put that put that skank over it made it into like this cool little fusion thing i mean i really really dug his last album and you know i does he have another album out because when i looked at it he has it said the best yet i saw something on spotify yeah he did he actually did release i forgot about that he released the best yet i don't think there was any new material on that but you oh, know, okay. for somebody who's been around a while um and always continuously exposing the new fans that's a great way for people to get a good gist of what's going on there so you know kudos to him for picking that out yeah because like when i when i was talking to you guys and i was referring to the last album i didn't realize he put something else out right. so i don't feel too bad because i was like i was referring to good vibes but like i didn't realize he had something else out so when i was talking about the r&b thing I don't know. For some reason, I was like, "Oh shit! I should have did better homework." I didn't realize he had a whole another album. No, you know what? Honestly, I don't think he caught that either. No, me neither. That. Because he was talking. He's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, totally." R B, blah blah blah. Uh, right. <laughs> okay, so um, I wanted to just ask a couple quick questions, and then we'll sort of uh, wrap this up. Um, so, when it comes to Mikey and a drum kit. Do you have a go-to sort of setup that you like to do, or do you just go by space by space? Kind of, uh, it just kind of song by song, you know. Um, over the years, I've, I've got a couple different techniques that I use. Sometimes it's just a full kit, a uh, normal kit. Uh, sometimes it's a mix of, like, electronic drums and real drums. Uh-huh. Um you know, sometimes I'm taking some pictures of some of these goofy setups that I've had with like pads and, uh, you know, I'm kicking nothing for a, for a kick because I've got that line digitally out there, but I'm playing certain parts of real drums and mm-hmm. hitting a pad. Yeah, sometimes the, the recording kit can look 
pretty strange. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's about three or four different uh, types of setups I use. What, um, can sometimes you just, it's all electronic. Sometimes it's mixed. Sometimes uh, it's all. So. When can you just go over maybe one configuration that you really like that you kind of rely on sometimes? Just like you know, like two um, overheads, kick, what, however you're doing it. Sure. Um, some of what I've done in the, in the past couple albums, I guess I've done like uh, uh, all one way to do it is. I open up Reason and I and I put in you know whatever our tempo is and there's a kick and the snare there you yeah. know boom pop boom pop and then I have everything else kind of set up I've got a pad there to make me feel like I'm hitting a snare oh okay um, and then I have the hi hat and I've got like uh, you know something on my foot to make me feel like I'm kicking a kick and I've got a couple of timbales a couple overheads with a couple of cymbals okay. um, maybe a uh, rack tom and a floor tom set up and I play to the kick and the snare uh, with everything else and uh, then try to mix that in or sometimes I take uh, record just a full kit, regular kit and then I go in uh, and do a little trick in Pro Tools and, and basically replace my snare drums or at least maybe the top mic of my snare drum um, with a, a sample snare that I had and uh, change up the sound a little bit. Now you still get the resonation from like the bottom snare and the overheads of the actual snare we use. Mm -hmm. But if you uh, you know put some verb on that, use it more of a pre instead of post effect, then it really just kind of still gives you that live feel while using digital elements. Mm, yeah. um, and then often sometimes I'm just pounding it out on the keys or or mm. uh, some other stuff and say, hey, you know, all I need is. Uh, some hi-hats in here and a couple crashes to give it the feel that I want. You know, I don't want it to have a full real feel. I want it to have a little digital effect, but if I put the hi-hat in there, it'll give me at least enough to where people can question what it is. Right. If now. they want to. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. Um, I'm, I'm sort of doing that right now with just kicks. Like, with the kick, I'll sort of use the, um, I'll use the, like, the, the mic kick and then I'll just sort of give it that punch and maybe the sound of the pad. I'll, I'll just uh, get a sampled kick so it has more of that pop, pop, pop. And then just right. sort of combine those two to sort of get something a little bit more punchier, which is a fun sure. little trick. Yeah. Um, okay, and then is there any um, – since you do all these, I don't know how this is going to work out, but since you – do you um, – do you have any weaknesses in your playing or or um, or in your recording or in any particular realm that you delve into? Is there any weaknesses well, that you're currently working on or something that you've overcome in the past that um, that sort of? Uh, I mean, I well, if anybody's, if anybody's listened to my stuff over the years, you can definitely hear uh, you know progression. You can hear it mm -hmm. getting better, right? Um, you know, I didn't jump into it and, and sound the way that have the album sound the way that they do now. So, I think the perfectionist in me will always tear apart uh, the last album that I released um, and and try to keep going on things. So, so you uh, just sort of look at overall like, oh, I didn't like that. Let's fix that. And right, if okay. I ever get to a point to where I'm not depicting, you know, going through my albums and. And saying, figuring out what's wrong, and I'm probably not in the right spot. Okay, yeah, uh, I did. You know, I did that. It, 
Yeah, but sure. as far as like deficiencies in any of my playing, I think what we were talking about earlier, me jumping from instrument to instrument or camera to websites or whatever, you know, there are much better drummers than me out there. There are much better guitar players or keyboard players out there than me. Mm. Um, because they spend the time to really perfect that craft as to where I bailed and <laughs> decided to pick up something else. But I think the benefit to that for me is that I have a good um, idea of how everything kind of fuses together. And as a guitarist will want his guitars to shine and a drummer wants the drums to be up and a keyboard wants that keyboard line to be up, you know? Yeah. I'm not biased to any one instrument. Right. So I can, I think I have a better, maybe, maybe have a better idea of um, how it can all fuse together as a one uh, entity. Yeah, I find that a lot with multi-instrumentalists and people who do like a lot of stuff. Me being one as well, it's like you just have a, it's like you're not like the greatest at one thing, but like an overall approach to it, it kind of delivers something a little bit more cohesive in the end. I mean, like rather than just the drummer producing everything and, you know, not to say that drummers can't produce a great song or shoot a video or anything, but like, you know, like, um, to have uh, to have a uh, you know jack of all trades master of none and you still have all these trades that you're working with um let me see here you know that, that hinders me in, in some ways yeah. and then benefits in, in others so oh yeah totally. um, but you know like we were talking about earlier in everything with moderation totally. so you know there's a lot uh, working with other drummers and stuff that like you know would get and recording is a different process for people. You know, you could play one way, just how you play, and then once you hit the record button, people play completely differently, and that's maybe a, you know, brain thing or something going on. But, um, yeah. you know, a lot of times drummers do a lot of fills, a lot of uh, extra stuff in there. Um, and I always try to, I always use this one analogy, like, like Dan, you know, the, you know the song Stairway to Heaven? They're like, yeah. Like, you know that one drum fill that Bonham does? around that solo. You're like, oh, dude, that's my favorite drum song. I'm like, right. I'm like, well, that's a seven and a half minute long song. And there's one drum fill in there. And you know why you know that drum fill and why it sticks out to you? Because it's the only one in that song. Yeah. So, you know, you can... If that song would have been riddled with drum fills, nobody would ever be talking about that drum fill. Right. I mean, and that applies to all instruments. You know, like this certain part, like this is not the best part of the song, let's layer it in every chorus or after every chorus. Like, why don't you maybe just give it to him this one time and make him want it? Yeah, exactly. Because you know it's the best part of the song, it's the most impactful part, and if you give it too much of him, it's not going to have the same effect. Right. But if you just give him just enough to keep wanting it more. Just a taste, baby. It's all about the comeback. Um, Mm -hmm. The, um, okay, and then... um, this one's always hard for people, especially musicians, to answer. But what are uh, what are like some seminal albums for you that sort of like shaped the shaped? I mean, who you are or who how you do music or where? Are the right. seminal? Well, let's let's start at the beginning. You know, when <laughs> I was a kid, <clears throat> I liked uh, you know, in first grade. Hell, I brought Naughty to Nature to school for oh, music. Oh shit! Uh, right. You know, crisscross. Chris yeah. Uh, really, the turning point for me, maybe when I started smoking a little bit, and uh, I got the 10-disc set of Led Zeppelin. Oh, okay. Um, 
that really blew my mind when I was like 14. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, uh, totally, man. Um, you know, Bob Marley, uh, Sublime, 311, um, a lot of funk, James Brown. Oh, yeah. Um, Bill Withers, Marvin Gaye, Al Green. Oh, man, you talk uh, my language. You know, and then, you know, Dr. Dre, uh, Jay-Z, you know, I, I, I like just about everything except for what country music produces right about now. But uh, <laughs> urban contemporary stuff, you know, the R&B stuff, the yeah. vocals, I think they all have their strong points. And right. I think what we're seeing now in a lot of music is that fusion. Mm. Um, so, you know, I would, I would definitely hope that people don't get caught up in one genre and, and take that for for who they are, because there is so much to learn in other people's music and other styles of music, um, whether it's personally or musically. Uh, so, yeah, I've always had a nice spread. My father is a musician, and, oh. you know, my parents, they listen to a whole bunch of different types of music and stuff, so I had the opportunity of being exposed to that at a young age. Um, you know, Steely Dan, uh, oh. all kinds of stuff. There's just yeah. so much out there. I, I think it's all... You know, people often ask me for favorites, and I can't tell people favorites, but I can tell them, you know, that for this time or, you know, for this mood, there's this right. and there's that. Uh, it's like, know. what do you want to feel, baby? Maybe yeah, top five when I'm feeling summery or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel you, man. Um, so, and then uh, what? what is an artist right now that you're listening to currently that you would suggest people listen to? Oh, man. Uh, what have I been listening to currently? Uh, Jay Boog's last album. Uh, J. Cole. Yeah, I'm obsessed with this damn Hot Rain song. Uh, <laughs> Take a Breath or whatever it is. And I think that was from like 2010 or something. Um, uh, you know, for me, listening to new stuff comes... It's it's it's. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a rarity, but I engulf myself so much in my projects that right. uh, it's kind of hard. To I don't like the outer influence so much. Yeah, but um, sometimes you just can't help to to jam out on some stuff. Of course, but uh, you know, I I just try to always kind of keep a nice mix. Right. Uh, well, Miles, yeah. I so appreciate you being so liberal with your time and you're on vacation and you're with your wives and I, I, so i really appreciate you taking out this much time to just chat um this was great i really appreciate your time and um um is where can people find you where can where what websites um 77 jefferson all that 77 jefferson.com you know uh staywisemedia.com miles around photography whatever there's a bunch of stuff out there <laughs> probably not worth looking at but uh oh, no, got a couple no. sites under the under under construction right now okay uh yeah i played with another up-and-comer uh zach mufasa in kansas city um and he also plays keys for 77 and he's uh i produced his last two albums he's got one coming out but he's producing himself right now so we're looking forward to hearing that um you know just uh Skillinger's new album coming out we're gonna have a release date for that soon uh Ro Hempel from Nebraska he toured with 77 some years ago um you know just keep an eye out for those projects and uh there will be plenty more to follow awesome Miles thank you so much um uh that this was awesome
My pleasure, Mike. And that was Miles Brown, the ideal guest to have on any podcast. Someone who has a lot to say, knows how to carry a conversation, who has well thought out thoughts, and um, just an all-around nice guy. So, you know, Miles Brown, 77 Jefferson, go check him out. Go check out Josh Heinrichs. Go check out the other bands he he works with. You can find that all on the website. I'll put in the show notes. Also, leave a review on iTunes. I'm still trying to figure out how to send a link, put a link on the show notes so you can just click on it and you can go put on a review. But uh, I'm still figuring that out. Not the best when it comes to internet. <clears throat> Excuse me. When it comes to interneting. <laughs> That's what I choked on, the word interneting. Uh, also, go to wespeakenglishgood.net. Yes, .net, not .com. .net, .com has been hijacked. And now we have to do .net, which I have a thousand business cards that say .com. And I cheaply have been just scribbling out .com and putting .net. So go there, check it out. Leave a, a review on iTunes. Leave a review wherever you hear this. It's mostly iTunes, but a lot of people listen to it on SoundCloud, too. Leave leave a review on SoundCloud. I will probably respond. Email the show at wespeakenglishgood at gmail.com. And that's it. I'll talk to you next time. Everybody, um, be nice to your fellow human beings. HJs for everybody. Bishop, you want to say something? Wise words. Wise words.